I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. I I personally find it good. Like I I like seeing things protected. Mm-hmm. Like my my job is to at the end of the day help the company harvest. But there's also the other side of it where I I am a bit of a steward of the land mm-hmm. and I want to see things being done in a good way and I don't want to see um habitat being destroyed and it's a bit of an bit of like an oxymoron, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like I, I am a forester and I'm a, I help this process of logging, but I also want to see things being protected. Mm-hmm. That's Ezra Meekum. He's a young indigenous forester working on the central coast of British Columbia in an area known as the Great Bear Rainforest. The Great Bear is home to some of our country's biggest and oldest trees, some dating back more than a thousand years. It's a remarkable place with row after row of snow-capped mountains and wide-open valleys that pour into the North Pacific Ocean. Ezra, the forester you just heard, is part of an experiment of sorts, a shift to an indigenous-led model of logging, one that's meant to be environmentally sustainable. The question, though, is whether it's going to work. I'm Brad Bedelt, and this is Storylines. This week, I'm taking you to Bella Coola, British Columbia, to the Great Bear Rainforest. It was there that nearly a decade ago, a group of coastal First Nations decided to halt most of the logging in their territories. And in the areas where they did log, they would do it differently. But 10 years on, the plan hasn't gone quite as expected. And it's left the First Nations with a difficult question. Can they sustain sustainable logging? in the mud right there. Oh, yeah. Deer tracks over there. My name is Ernie Talio. I born and raised here in Bella Coola and I've been managing the Guardian Watchman program for the last 10 years. And wolf would come right in through here as well? Um, not, not in town, but we definitely see them in the estuary and through across the river there. Um, cougars as well. It's just before noon in late September, and I'm walking with Ernie along the banks of the Bellacoola River on BC's central coast. Ernie is in his mid-50s and soft-spoken. Bellacoola is home to just over 2,000 people. It's the doorstep of the Great Bear Rainforest. The rugged mountains and old-growth forests stretch all the way from here to Alaska. Most of the rainforest is considered crown land by Canadian law, but it's on the traditional territory of nine coastal First Nations who manage and oversee it. The Guardian Watchmen are a team of local indigenous people who work as conservation officers for the rainforest. There's a lot here for Ernie to manage. Right now, I have a couple of guardians up in the Tweedsmere Park helping out uh, parks rangers at the viewing platform. And I have uh, three more out in the South Bendic on the Newark River working with a conservation group where they're collecting DNA samples from coho. So 
Every day, every week is something different. For Ernie, the watchmen are restoring a role that indigenous people here have had for millennia. He's a member of the New Hulk First Nation, one of nine that make up the coastal First Nations. We're the eyes and ears of the nation, and that's my biggest priority is to have my guys out. Whatever projects we're working on, it's, it's just good to have that presence out there. Mm-hmm. There are coastal guardian watchmen in six communities in and around the rainforest, as well as another on Haida Gwaii off the coast of northern BC. They do everything from helping out with search and rescue missions to conducting research on salmon. My, my, I'm really fortunate to have a really broad range of age groups from really young guys. Our youngest is 19 years old right now, and our, my oldest crew member is 55. And just to see them experience the land and uh, the places that we see and the projects that we're working on, how it impacts them, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really positive work that we're doing. The Watchman program employs about 150 people, all Indigenous, and it's administered through the Coastal First Nations. We all have uh, a connection to the land, through our lineage, through our, our ancestors. Listening to Ernie, it's obvious the Guardians program is special. There's a catch, though. A big portion of the program's budget comes from an unusual source, carbon offsets. The offsets were part of an agreement that was signed back in 2016 between Coastal First Nations and the BC government. Before the agreement, nearly all of the land that makes up the Great Bear Rainforest was slated for logging. Now, only about 15% of it can be cut. From a conservation perspective, the agreement was big news. The protected rainforest is about the size of Ireland, and it was one of the first conservation projects in Canada to rely on carbon offsets for funding. But seven years in, it's still not clear whether the agreement is working. Carbon offset sales have been much slower than expected, putting programs like the Guardian Watchman at risk. That's a constant struggle for us. Uh, We're trying to make sure we have that kind of the funding in place to to keep keep us all employed. Um, Mm -hmm. We still have to secure sustainable funding, but We hope we can secure that at some point. The question now is, is this unique model actually sustainable? Before I go any further, you might be wondering how this works. How carbon offsets can protect a rainforest? Well, it starts with the trees. Trees suck carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, which then gets stored or sequestered in the trunks, roots, and soil. The larger and older the tree, the more carbon dioxide it stores. Which makes an old-growth forest like the Great Bear extremely valuable as a climate change-fighting tool. Every year, it sucks up roughly 1 million tons of carbon dioxide. That's about the same as what 250,000 cars emit. And all that carbon gets stored year after year. Those trees are thousands of years of sequestration that are there in the trunk and in the roots and in the branches and in the all of the plants that live up in the crown and stuff like that that live on on the outside of the tree. That's Joseph Pallant. He's the director of climate innovation at Ecotrust Canada, an environmental nonprofit, and he's based in Vancouver. He says the impact of losing these trees would be twofold. First, obviously, when we lose trees, they no longer scrub carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. 
And second, if they get cut, Joseph says that the holding containers for centuries of carbon goes kaput. Most of the carbon stored inside of them gets released back into the atmosphere. When you cut that down, when you harvest that, when you drive um, machinery through the soil, you are uh, releasing this productivity times thousands of years sometimes, hundreds and thousands of years. So that's where carbon offsets come in. They're essentially the business of not logging. Climate-conscious companies, governments, even people can pay coastal First Nations for the benefits of not logging the Great Bear Rainforest in order to offset their own carbon emissions. But Joseph says carbon offsets continue to face significant obstacles. I will say that uh, skepticism of offsets certainly affects the sale of offsets, the development of new projects, the ability for older projects to continue to develop. It's certainly been an ever-present aspect of this work since I started developing offset projects in 2004. Skepticism, as in a lot of people don't believe offsets, are used to fund legitimate projects. And with good reason. A report published earlier this year by the UK newspaper The Guardian alleged that 90% of carbon offsets certified by one company for projects in the Amazon were fraudulent. We found that the large majority of various rainforest offsets are essentially nothing in carbon terms. They're, They're totally worthless. Meaning the projects didn't sequester nearly as much carbon dioxide as they were supposed to. There have been other similar examples. But Joseph stresses that in Canada, carbon offset projects must meet much higher standards. So if you're doing forest conservation in British Columbia, the BC Forest Carbon Offset Protocol lays out the detailed rules around how you have to design, implement, and evidence your project. Despite those controls, the skepticism that Joseph mentions, it continues to tamp down interest in carbon offsets in Canada. And that means less money to fund Indigenous programs like the Guardian Watchman. The Great Bear Agreement limited logging and changed how it's done in exchange for the money generated by carbon offsets. Which takes us to another part of the struggle of making this program a success. Coastal First Nations that push for the changes aren't just conservationists. They're also home to loggers. For them, the changes have brought challenges. Not long after meeting with Ernie Talio from The Guardian Watchman, I meet up with an indigenous forester who works just outside Balakula. Good to meet you, yeah. Thanks for coming so early. Oh, no worries. It's a mess. Yeah, my name is Ezra Mikam. My new Hulk name is Sinyuk Lam. Uh, I would introduce myself, Yatsi Sinauk Sinyuk Lam. I am a forester for the nation's Economic Development Corporation, uh, specifically New Hulk Forestry. Ezra is in his early 20s. He has long hair, cowboy boots, and is a big fan of country music. We visit a spot that was logged a few years ago. So as a kid, you planted here? Yeah, I was uh, 16, and uh, the Bellacoola Community Forest paid us like $1,000 to come out and plant this area here and part of this area. Ezra has done a variety of forestry work here, tree planting, but also laying out other areas to be logged. His father and grandfather also worked as loggers. 
I ask him why he thinks the Newhawk First Nation signed the Great Bear Agreement. People in our community want to see us doing what is widely known as good, right? Like without knowing much about forestry, they can say like this was done with all the collaboration from all of these different nations to create something that was better than what was going on before. What was going on before were giant swaths of clear cuts across what is now protected rainforest. These days, because of the agreement, which includes the carbon offset program, Ezra says the logging areas are much smaller. Plus, there are setbacks along streams and buffers for wildlife. And so operationally, that can create a very large constraint for a forestry company. But on the other side of things, I personally find it good. Like, I, I like seeing things protected. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want to be optimistic, but I understand that change takes time, takes a lot of effort, and we are a small piece of the pot. Not everyone in his nation supports the logging constraints. It makes it harder to make a living. I think there's a spectrum. There's many folks that are very gung-ho for it. There's many people that are excited for the change. There are many folks that are a little bit more um, ten- like tentative. They're like, mm, you know, not sure how this is going to work. Like, But it, it is an ongoing thing of like trying to figure out how we can both um, do this all in a good way and still make money and still be able to contribute to our community. It's time for a quick break. Storylines will be right back. What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. The Coastal First Nations office isn't where you might expect. It's in downtown Vancouver, on the 16th floor of an office building, next door to a law office. I go there on a very rainy day in the fall. Uh, I'm Paul Correa. I work as a senior uh, policy advisor for the Great Bear Initiative Society, also known as Coastal First Nations. Paul Correa is not Indigenous. For most of his career, he was a scientist and an academic. He came to Coastal First Nations, he says, because he wanted to do his part for reconciliation. You know, it's pretty neat. I met um, many of the nations some 40 plus years ago when I was a a PhD student doing some work. And um, seven years ago or so, I was approached by uh, the organization. How would I like to finish out my working career using some of that knowledge and resource management and salmon and um, renewable energy and, and bring that policy knowledge and work with the nations. And um, so I took a job here and it's been absolutely amazing and delightful. Paul says that carbon offsets were an important part of the Great Bear Rainforest Agreement. The revenue from offsets was expected to make up for the economic impact of less logging. It came down to dollars and cents, how to pay for stewardship and guardians and all of that. Um, government was saying they just didn't have enough money, but out of the changes in forestry and land use, the consideration was, well, just could there, could there be 
an offset generated that would help pay for these. The revenue from selling carbon offsets not only pays for the Guardian Watchman program, it's also used to fund other community projects like housing for elders. So I think when the idea of offsets came about, everybody was excited about, yes, we can tap into this. Yes, the change in the annual allowable cut, reducing it will create this delta. That should be offsetable. That should lead to the marketplace coming for Great Bear Rainforest offsets. But in the seven years since the agreement was signed, carbon offsets in the Great Bear Rainforest have been slow to catch on. Paul says there are a few reasons why revenue has been lower than expected. Offsets are sold on an open market, so competition from other projects can drive down prices. For Coastal First Nations, the target price for one of its offsets is about $15 per tonne of sequestered carbon dioxide. But at times, other foreign projects have sold them for much cheaper. The other challenge has been lack of demand, fueled by the skepticism of offsets that Joseph Pallant described. And um, I think there was this fear, all of a sudden, these things are questionable. Are they truly Indigenous-led, or is it just greenwashing in that? Every year, roughly half of the Great Bear carbon offsets go unsold. That's about a $10 million loss for coastal First Nations, leaving less funding for programs like the Guardian Watchman. So far, the main buyer of the Great Bear's offsets has been the province of BC, so the government can be considered carbon neutral. To date, no other big buyers have come forward. The world didn't come aggressively and say, we need these offsets. It was very quiet. And so uh, the, the history of, of revenues generated has been uh, quite a slow take-up. I asked Paul if they can't sell enough offsets. Is more logging an option? I, I guess in a, in a careful way, I'd say yes. And this puts us at, at odds with environmental groups and others who say, well, you guys are the... The, the, the apex, the, the, the key that protected old growth, uh, I think our nations, and, and, and that because they need jobs, they need revenue, would say, we're not necessarily going to do the kind of logging that was in the past, but um, getting revenue from the forest cover is one option. Now, I don't want this to be interpreted as that we're going to leap to logging. I think, um, I think there's been a lot of thought going into the regime that we've been operating under for the last 15 years. But as honestly as I can answer, it's, it's an option. It has to be there. Newhawk Forestry, the company that Ezra works for, is, as he puts it, a relatively small player here. There are larger corporations still logging in the Great Bear. And concerns over logging practices persist, despite the Great Bear Agreement and the offset revenue being generated. So forest companies are very good at logging to the letter of the law, but they're not very good at logging to the spirit and intent of the law, always. This is Jody Holmes. She works for the Rainforest Solutions Implementation Project. Jody has worked in the region for more than 25 years and was a key negotiator on the Great Bear Agreement. She took a kayak trip here while doing her PhD. And I fell in love with the place. And so I decided to put my, my academic career on hold and go and start working on conservation issues in the Great Bear. Jody argues that investing in carbon offsets isn't enough right now to save the big trees, which do a lot of the work when it comes to regulating our climate. While the agreement has led to less logging, it's also meant to protect old growth forests specifically. But Jody feels that hasn't been as successful. 
The problem, she says, is partly one of mapping. There's no database showing where the oldest trees are located, which makes it hard to protect them. We really do count on the forest industry to kind of figure out where those trees are and set them aside. I think that some really at-risk forest types are getting targeted specifically because of the economics of the area. For Jody, it comes down to the value of carbon offsets. Essentially, there's more money to be made from logging old growth than from protecting it. At the moment, um, carbon revenues do offset second growth logging. But old growth is so valuable, and big old growth logging is so valuable, the carbon offsets don't currently manage to kind of create enough of a back pressure there. Jody sees potential in adding on what are known as ecosystem services for revenue. They're like carbon offsets, but they're based on other benefits provided by a forest. So in Europe right now, they're paying farmers to plant trees and then monitor the temperature change that happens on their property. And they get a credit for the temperature change that happens on their their, their property. There are places in Africa and places in South America where people are getting paid credits for keeping jaguars alive and then guaranteeing that they're keeping jaguars alive. Jody believes including these kinds of ecosystem services could strengthen the business case for conserving the great bear. Those are all kinds of things that could be monetized, but we don't do at the moment. Paul Correa with Coastal First Nations sees another factor that should drive up offset values when governments start imposing what are known as emissions caps. An emissions cap means a company must cut its pollution or buy offsets to make up for it. The federal government recently announced a cap for the oil and gas sector. Korea expects BC will launch something similar. The federal liberals announced their long-promised emissions cap on oil and gas, driving a deeper wedge between Ottawa and oil-producing provinces. It is up to us as a country to make smart choices. What we're trying to get at is is reducing emissions. We're not trying to to, to burden the industry. An emissions cap will destroy hundreds of thousands of jobs. This cap is not credible at all. It allows for big oil to buy their way out of this cap. They're going to be permitted to use offsets, and the offset of choice or supplier of choice in British Columbia is probably the Great Bear Rainforest offsets because there's no other sizable supply of good offsets other than uh, than ours. Mm-hmm. Paul also mentions that the Coastal First Nations are exploring a similar offset program for the marine environment, using kelp to sequester carbon. We are working really hard on a Great Bear Sea agreement that brings the marine in line with the, the terrestrial. And just, it's not by chance, we've been studying it. Uh, we know that kelps and seaweeds really can be a great uh, aggregator, a holder of, of carbon, particularly if they fall to the bottom and they're, the bottom is left undisturbed. This is the sea bottom. Despite the challenges, Paul is still optimistic that the Great Bears offset model is viable and could be used by conservation projects elsewhere. Yeah, we've been approached by, by neighboring uh, nations. Some of them want to do similarly and Quite frankly, the wherewithal to do uh, something similar is still there. They're curious, they're wondering um, how it was done, and and they'd like to get on with it too. It's been slow developments, and there's a whole series of other reasons why that's been so. Uh, And so it's it's not been easy sledding for them uh, as they consider uh, doing their own forest carbon offset um, programs. But I, I tend to remain hopeful.
Back in Bellacoola, as we were wrapping up, I asked Ernie what his best moment has been as a Guardian Watchman. Uh, within the last couple of years, my son, I would never really thought he was paying attention to what the work I was doing, and then he was coming up to graduating, and we asked him, well, what do you want to do? We're like, I want to do the work my dad does. And that was like a really proud moment for me. That documentary was reported by me, Brad Bedelt. It was produced and edited by John Chipman and Julia Poggle. A version of that documentary originally aired on What on Earth? I'm Brad Bedelt, and this is Storylines. Making that doc, being in the forest with people trying to support and sustain something near and dear to their hearts, It made me think about another story I heard on CBC recently. Last fall, The Current spoke with Jane Goodall, the legendary scientist who changed how the world thought of chimpanzees. She was talking about how sometimes there are answers if we just slow down and try something new, something different. Here's some of that interview with Matt Galloway. Um, I was born loving animals and being fascinated and curious. I used to save up my pennies of pocket money, this is during the war, and I found a little second-hand bookshop with books piled, higgledy piggledy all over the place. And little old man, I don't think he knew where any book was, but he didn't mind this 10-year-old rummaging around. And I found this little book, which I could just afford to buy, and I took it home up my favorite tree, and I read it, and I fell in love. That was Tarzan, Mm. (laughs) Tarzan of the Apes. And you know, little girls of 10 can be very romantic. So this glorious Lord of the Jungle, and what did Tarzan do? He married the wrong Jane. (laughs) So anyway, that was my dream began. I will grow up, go to Africa, live with wild animals, and write books about them. Everybody laughed. How will you do that? You don't have money don't know much about Africa, it's a dangerous place, and you're just a girl, not my mother. If you really want to do something like this, you'll have to work really hard, take advantage of every opportunity, and if you don't give up, hopefully you find a way. So, you know, cutting the story short, couldn't go to university, no money, got an invitation to Kenya from a school friend, saved up money by working as a waitress, and got out there and met Dr. Lewis Leakey, who offered me this opportunity of studying chimps. I see humanity as at the mouth of a very long, very dark tunnel. And right at the end, there's a little light. That's hope. But it's no good sitting, waiting for hope to come. We've got to roll up our sleeves, crawl under, climb over, work around all the obstacles. That was Jane Goodall. You can find the full interview on The Current's website. That's all for Storylines for this week. Storylines is produced by AC Rowe. The show is part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. If you like the show and care about Canadian documentaries, the best way to show it is to leave us five stars and a glowing review. Better still, tell a friend about us. 
I'm Brad Bedelt. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.